Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, it's me, Kate Lister, jumping in once again to forewarn you that this episode will contain descriptions of sex, some fruity language, and the odd swear word dropped when nobody was looking. So if that's not your cup of tea, you may want to skip this one. From a goddess so powerful that the people who worship her refuse to speak her name, to the personification of compassion, to the woman banished from the Garden of Eden for refusing to put out in the way Adam wanted her to. Today, betwixt the sheets, join me, Kate Lister, to explore feminine power throughout history. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing a button. Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, Jerry. Hello and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. This weekend in Britain, hopefully most of us are getting to have a little bit of time off. And actually, I hope that that includes Queen Liz herself, who although she's been very busy over this bank holiday, she has been on the throne for 70 years now, which must be pretty exhausting. But Liz is nothing if not a powerful woman. And today we are speaking about powerful women and it's easy to forget sometimes when there aren't enough pockets in your clothes and the gender pay gap's still a thing and the underwire from your bra is poking you in the chest that women can be powerful and have been revered as powerful all throughout history and all around the world. So to help remind ourselves of this, the new exhibition at the British Museum is showing us all the different ways that women have done just that. From the divine to the demonic, from Artemis to Lilith to Pell, I am joined by Belinda Creera for a tour of some of her favourite parts of the exhibition. Hold on to your hats. So we are on a first today. This is Betwixt the Sheets on location. And what a location I am in. I am stood in the British Museum in their new exhibition, Feminine Power, Divine to the Demonic, or Demonic to the Divine, with the curator of the exhibition, Belinda. Hello. Hi. Hi. This is, it's, I'm surrounded by the most incredible artefacts. I feel so privileged and lucky. But can you tell us what was this exhibition about? Why did you decide to put this together? Yeah, well, it's a real eclectic mix of objects from throughout history, from the ancient world through to contemporary art and from cultures all around the world. 
And what we wanted to do through this exhibition was look at all of the different ways that female authority and power has been framed in beliefs and spiritual traditions around the world to really show the complexity of how at times female power has been seen as something dangerous, mm -hmm. something chaotic, but also something elevating, something that leads to salvation, something powerful that liberates and teaches. And so we have figures in the exhibition who encompass ideas of desire and sexuality through to justice and wisdom. And it's such an inspiring range that we're asking, what does this mean about how we view femininity? It's incredible, and the breadth of what you've got here, we've got everything from ancient Greece through to Hawaiian and Maori cultures and voodoo deities, and it's extremely impressive. Where did you even start with something like this? Most of the objects come from the British Museum's own collection, because we have such a phenomenally expansive collection, and there's so many objects in there that speak to this theme. And you know, when I was walking around the galleries, when this, this idea was sort of formulating and just noticing how many images of women there were and how many images of female deities or spiritual forces there were, it just got me thinking about how has this been viewed in different cultures? Why is female authority so highly revered mm. in many traditions, both in the past and around the world today, in living traditions today? And do you feel more Powerful. I feel quite powerful walking around, actually. I definitely feel more enlightened from it, from researching this project over the last few years. I've learned so much, and so much that is positive it's about like the way that feminism yeah. is viewed. Because I thought we were going to go around and it was just going to be like, it's been really shit to be a woman. <laughs> like all throughout history, there's just going to be loads of stuff we could put in an exhibition called, oh, men are dicks. But that's... It's actually like there's so much positive stuff here and like there's and like you said knowledge and power and creation and really beautiful things so I wasn't expecting that. Well no I feel like a lot of people don't no. they sort of come at the subject because from, our, from a lot of people's background in, in the west certainly there isn't a strong tradition of venerating female authority in a spiritual context sort of lost that over the last mm. 2,000 years somewhat but that's not the case today in other parts of the world, and it certainly wasn't the case even in Western history thousands of years ago. So I think it's worth reminding ourselves Absolutely, of that, yes. that actually this is just a sort of cultural anomaly and not a universal phenomenon. And there's some amazing women here. Let, talk me through some of your favourite ones, because I don't even know what we'd start with here, but that's, it's not a fair question. It's like, who's your favourite <laughs> child? Let's, let's pick some of your favourites then. Like, what, which one would you, this is the one for me. So I really love this sculpture. This is a contemporary Hawaiian sculpture by an artist called Tom Pico, in which he shows the Hawaiian goddess Pele, who is the embodiment of volcanoes and lava, and she's a very fiery, volatile entity. And he's called the work Tiara Wahine, which means the flowered woman. And this sounds very nice and gentle. It does, doesn't it? Actually, it's because there's a belief that you shouldn't say her name out loud because oh. she is so formidable that you don't actually want her to appear in front of you. So that's why it's called The Flowered, the flowered Woman. woman. So. But you've got her name right here. We do. I'm <gasps> taking a bit of a risk. That's a bit of a risk. She, actually looking at this sculpture, she doesn't look like somebody that you would mess with, does she? She's very brooding. She is. Look at that. She's, like, she's properly stacked as well. Her legs yeah. and her arm muscles. Yeah, she is. She's, and she's got this hair, which is just a flaming red 
flowing down to the ground like lava. She's almost like a volcano herself, Jeez. the way that she is positioned. And she's got this enormous flower crown and she's sort of glowering from underneath it. Well, mate, if you've been put in charge of volcanoes, that's quite a responsibility. The way that Pico has made this sculpture, he's carved it out of a heel wood, which is a tree which is endemic to Hawaii. And it has this natural red color to mm. the bark. So this isn't stained. This is the color of the oh, wood. Oh, wow. And it's like very evocative of volcano goddess it's, it's of fire red, and it? lava. But it's also one of the first plants that grows on fresh lava flows. So it's also about oh. creation and regeneration. So the material itself is very symbolic. I mean, he understood that assignment, yeah. didn't he? That is... And it's also about the duality inherent in Pele, which we see through a lot of the figures that we're exploring in this exhibition. Mm -hmm. They're not just one thing, they're many things. Pele is destructive, but also creative. Wow. I can see the tattoos on her, her legs. Yeah, she's got her arms and her legs and her chest are covered in these tattoos, which are of Polynesian design. Mm. And this relates to a belief about Pele that she originated from Tahiti and then traveled overseas to Hawaii. So this is looking at her origin stories. As well. She is so beautiful. I think she's one of my favorites. I'm not surprised. She's like a volcano goddess tattooed. And and you can see here, we've got this image next to the sculpture which shows how she's worshipped today. This was taken in 2018. Oh, yeah. let me have a look at that. Which is the eruption of Mount Kilauea, which is supposedly Pele's home. And you can see the lava flowing down the road Ooh. and these offerings to Pele left in front of the lava throw. Now that's a devoted follower. So when the volcano erupts, and I'm looking at a picture now of lava, actual lava on a road, People run out and make offerings too. This is the expression of Pele's power, wow. which is a constant force in Hawaii because it's such yes. a volcanic landscape. It's constant presence in the natural world. And we're in a section here where we're looking at beliefs from different cultures, which relates female power to the natural world and creation and destruction and life oh, and death. So, wow. That's incredible. That's absolutely gorgeous. So Hawaiian deities manifest their presence in the landscape. Um, so she exists in lava and in certain plants and in volcanoes. That's how you know her. So these are, all of this is her, essentially. She's, in a way, she's not the statue we're looking at. She's the lava. She's right. very beautiful, actually, isn't it? Even the lava is incredibly destructive. That's, she just is the natural world. Wow. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to mess with her. She's no. <laughs> incredibly impressive. All right, so we're now in a section called Passion and Desire. So this is definitely on my home turf. Oh, it's Aphrodite. Hello, Mama. Tell me about this statue. This is an incredible statue of Aphrodite. Tell me about... Yeah, so this is a Roman statue which was inspired by a very famous Greek statue of Aphrodite. You probably know it, the Aphrodite of Cnidos, which is thought to have been the first full-scale female nude in Western art. And it was a sensation when mm. it was unveiled. I mean, they lost it, didn't they? They absolutely yeah, lost their shit completely. Yeah, oh my gosh, yes, yes. We have accounts of men trying to have sex with the statue and See, then that, this is why we can't have throwing themselves off a cliff afterwards. It caused a sensation. Have you got extra security on? Just, <laughs> just in case. Just in case. <laughs> Anyone coming to see this, just behave yourselves. And I think what's interesting about this is today, it's quite a familiar image. We're used to seeing it's quite tame images. Today, it does feel mean? quite tame, but you have to put yourself back two and a half thousand yeah. years to when this was the first time you've seen a statue of this scale of the naked female body. And I think that helps you understand the erotic power mm. that Aphrodite and her successor Venus wielded 
and that really comes across strongly in the imagery here. But what I find also interesting about this is her nudity is so central yeah. that it's, it's very, very much, much eye height, isn't it? Yeah, no it is. And that. it's designed to be seen in the round. So we've tried to recreate that a little bit because you can see her behind from I know, she has a really session. nice ass. Yeah. Like so she really does. supposed to see all of her. But the way her nudity is so prominent here, I feel really emphasizes her sexual power as a goddess of desire and passion and beauty. Because she's kind of, she's almost like got one hand on her left Yeah, and what's she doing with her hands? Is she trying to hide her body? Or actually you find yourself looking at where her yeah, hands is, which it's... is exactly over her body. You have to move around to see what she's covering and you can because she was positioned in the round. So it's a quite a playful image in that sense as well. And the original was supposed to have been modelled on the Greek courtesan Freeney. Oh, is that right? Yeah, she was like legendary for her beauty. Oh. And she earned so much money. She was so good at what she did. At one point, she offered to rebuild the wall of Thebes after Alexander the Great knocked it down, but only if they put up a plaque saying, Destroyed by Alexander the Great, rebuilt by Freeney the Whore, and they said no. I think it's very interesting that these stories just really make us question our assumption that all women in the ancient world were sort of quiet and locked away in the house and yeah. domesticated. Some women had a lot of power. It's a really complicated path because Freeney, like she, she really did, like she run rings around men, she was incredibly powerful, she was put on trial for heresy, partly maybe they think because she was the model for Aphrodite, you know, you've overstepped your mark there a bit, love. but. It's also quite a complicated thing because she was also a courtesan, so she has to be in the world of men. Yeah, and... it's a power, but it's also a powerlessness. Yes. It's so... It... Can we talk about her hair? I've just noticed... <laughs> you probably wouldn't actually know... The hair is definitely not the first thing that you'd notice. But that is a complicated hair, it, Yeah, it certainly is. And she's just meant to have got out of her bath. Or maybe she's getting into her bath, I'm oh. not sure. So maybe that's why it's all piled up on her. Head that way. It's like in a mini mouse bow, isn't it? It is, yeah. It does look like a mini mouse bow. That probably wasn't the desired effect. But she's incredibly beautiful. It's so interesting as well, because it's thousands of years later to see how the ideal of the female body has shifted. Yeah, definitely. And actually, next to her, we have this contemporary artwork by Kiki Smith. This is an incredible piece. Yeah. Like halfway up a wall, there is, is it bronze? It is bronze, it's yeah. a bronze sculpture of a crouching woman, and she looks like a spider, like she's going to kind of jump down and get you. But tell me who she is, who's this? So this is Lilith. Lilith is a demon from Jewish mysticism who was said to be the first wife of Adam. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam insisted that Lilith recognizes his dominance over her as her husband. And she said, no. She said, we were made at the same time from the same earth. We are equals. And Adam wasn't too happy about this. He went and complained to God. Um, and instead of submit, she chose to leave. She left Eden and she refused to return even when she was chased down by angels. And she said, this is not for me. And then all these stories emerge about how she's Satan's lover and she kills babies. And she's got this sort of very darkly sexual aspect to her character. And what I love about Kiki Smith's sculpture is it is modeled on the body of a real woman. So we're not looking at the classical beauty of sort of idealized female beauty according to Greek canons of Venus. We're looking at the body of a real woman. Do we know who the woman was? She was a dancer that Kiki Smith was working with at the time. I don't know her name, unfortunately. 
I used to be a life model, you know, and I love oh, knowing right. that, that sometimes there's just paintings of my tits sometimes <laughs> on, on walls in people's houses that I don't know. But this is amazing. The interesting thing about this is that, I mean, when you look at this right next to the Statue of Venus, I mean, you can see obviously how differently the body is being used to present this sort of same ideas of sexual power. You can't really see Lilith's body at no. all. If you want to, you have to really try and strain your head to see her very much unlike Venus, who is sort of... It's quite a gentle pose over here with Venus. This one, there's, there seems to be a lot of anger in it. Like, she's kind of really scrunched up, isn't she? Well, she's a demon. She's a demon, of course, of course. <laughs> I'm talking about. I think she's also presented here as a, a figure of defiance and transcendence, but she's also got this unsettling quality that speaks to her sort of malevolent power. She is the figure of insubordination, female insubordination. She's not even respecting gravity. She's up on the wall. I love that. It says here on the little information thing that the transgression that she committed was that she wouldn't let Adam go on top. He said that he should be the one who goes on top because he's the husband and he is dominant. And she said, no, you should lie under me. And I, I'm going to get mine. And it didn't go down well. No, it didn't. <laughs> so yeah, all hail Queen Lilith. Imagine that. Imagine like just being like, no, it only works for me if I'm on top and I'm willing to be chased by angels to make that happen. Yeah. Well, actually over here, we've got a, a sort of slightly related yeah. idea, another story which weirdly involves sexual positions in a religious context. So this is a oh. print looking at the goddess Radha and the god Krishna from Hindu belief. And do you know the Gita Govinda? The... Explain uh, just for anyone. So their relationship is celebrated <clears throat> in the Gita Govinda, which is an epic poem, mm. highly erotic sexual poem, which describes their passionate love affair, Krishna's infidelity, Radha's distress, Krishna's remorse, and eventually they're reconciled. And it's all described in very, very sexual terms. And it culminates with Krishna submitting to Radha entirely by lying under her. Oh, I like that. And this is a very tender scene of their courtship where Krishna is cradling Radha in his arms and stroking his face and they're surrounded by beauty and opulence. And their relationship and the way it's described in the Gita Govinda has often been interpreted for the mortal soul's longing to be united with the divine. So using these erotic language and sexual language and sexual metaphors mm. to convey a sort of knowledge of divine mysteries, really. And you do get that tradition in Christianity. It kind of crops up here and there as well. Yeah. Mystical traditions, you definitely do. Christian mystical texts, you do find more sexual allegory for understanding and being united with divinity. It hasn't entered quite so much into popular religious no. teaching, though. No, they've, they've not quite got there yet, have they? But that's extremely beautiful. I love that. We're going to have a short break from all this walking around and I'll be back in a few with Belinda. Did Edison really take credit for things he didn't invent? Were treadmills originally a form of corporal punishment? And would man have ever got to the moon without the bra? I am the 
You can expect answers to all these questions and more in the brand new podcast from History Hit, patented History of Inventions. Join me, Dallas Campbell, as I uncover what really sparked history's most impactful ideas. Each episode, I'll be recruiting the help of experts, scientists, historians, and even a few real-life inventors. Subscribe to Patented History of Inventions wherever you listen to your podcasts. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Can you show me the Malefus Malefus? Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go from divine feminine now. Yeah. Swing the other way. So I was quite shocked when I first saw this, actually, mm. when it arrived in the museum in the showcase and I looked at it and I did have a little like, oh, my God. There it I is. I find it very creepy, actually. That is actually creepy. It is, isn't it? It's got this real malevolence Just that radiates mm. off it. So the Malefus Maleficarum, it means hammer of witches, and it was a text written by two German monks. Yeah, it's attributed to Heinrich Kramer and Joseph Bregner, although it's generally understood that it was really written by Kramer and Bregner's name might have been added later to try and give it more authority because he had he was a sort of higher status inquisitor so she just give it that legitimacy and obviously 
if you want to know anything about women, the person to ask is a German monk. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yes. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. And what's kind of quite disturbing about this is like that you can read translations of it online and it's just mad. It's just, it's like scrolling through the mind of a psychopath. It, it's like he should have been under deception is what this is. Like, how could you say to anyone with a straight face that women steal penises and put them in trees? He was fanatical and fanatically obsessed with women's sex lives and questioned women that he accused of being witches under torture about their sex lives. And it's worth saying that this didn't go down very well even with the Catholic Church at the time. This, oh, that's quite This was not well received at the time it was published. It did create a huge backlash even among Craner's other inquisitors. That, like, quite this quite is extreme, not appropriate at all balance. This is a fanatical misogynist text. But over the centuries, it was reprinted and reprinted and yeah. reprinted and it circulated and it may have inspired imagery as well, which also circulated. So here we can see a print by Hans Baldung Green, which is believed to be a satirical print. So here we're not okay. seeing it a sort of serious reflection of what the artist yep. felt witches were. And it may even be inspired by the Malleus that might be poking fun at the sort of exaggerated oh, idea of witches in the in the Malleus. This image, this is a definite, don't threaten me with a good time. It's like there's a group of women nude in the woods. One of them is riding a goat. They seem to be having quite a good time, actually. But there's something quite chaotic about it as well. And there's something extremely over the top. Very over the top. If that was your hangout with your friends, that takes a lot of effort. We just ordered pizza, like me and mine. That's but the Malifus Maleficarum, so like what I find quite disturbing about it is not so much the fact that there was one monk who, where he came up with this stuff, I've no idea, but it's not the fact so much the fact it was written, it's the fact that eventually it had papal support, like the Pope supported it. Is that right? Have I got that right? Well, Kramer got papal support to persecute witchcraft or hunt yeah. out witchcraft, uh, okay. and that was his vocation. So this, this kind of became like the handbook then? So yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure my... of the details of the papal support, I'm afraid. I know he did get a papal bull when he was That's kicked out of bull, bull, yes. when he was kicked out of Innsbruck, I think was permission to produce this text or just ramping up the, we have to do something about witches, now the Pope says so, no, so I've got the so. authority now and no one can challenge me, is that sort of mm. idea, but I'm not 100% sure. So the Malefus Maleficarum printed 1494. We're looking at the actual book. We're looking at the actual thing. And it's so weird because I know that this is real. I know this is the actual genuine article, but my head just keeps, it looks like a prop from something out of Harry Potter. It's like, it almost doesn't look real. And it's got like columns of, is it Latin or is yeah, it just Latin? Latin? And I might have been doing my job for a long time as a sex historian and I see sex everywhere, but I can't help but notice there is what looks like a giant, penis drawn on that page. There is. There is. Oh, good. Right. There is. <laughs> so this is a passage in the Malleus. I mean, it says a lot of absolute bonkers things. But this is a passage where Kramer accuses witches of making men's penises magically disappear and hoarding them and feeding them oats. And it seems like somebody who owned this book has drawn a little penis next to this section, perhaps just to flag this, oh, so, this is an important bit. We need to pay attention to this bit. <laughs> they might steal your penises, lads. If you had that kind of power, if you were a witch, you could come up with something better to do than steal a load of dicks and feed them porridge. So that little doodle wasn't 
part of the original text. No, somebody's and actually, drawn that on. if you look through the other pages of this book, you'll find other little annotations wow, well and notes. So there's annotations in the columns. There's a drawing of two hands in prayer with a cross between them as well. So, wow. yeah, and they're in different hands as well and different colored inks. So it looks like the book was passed, passed between <gasps> readers who are all sort of scribbling notes in the column. There is something dark about it because you know that this book played a not insignificant part in the Witch trials across Europe. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly fair to say that this had a big influence in associating harmful magic with women. Before this time, with earlier texts, there's a sense that half magic is a diabolical, demonic mm. force, but it can be practiced by anyone who's an enemy or seem to be an enemy of the Catholic Church. And that's, that's a, a sort of fairly equal balance of who that is. It doesn't matter. Mm. This text. Kramer almost goes out of his way to argue that harmful magic is a woman's woman. skill. Mm. And he relates this to, you know, scriptural interpretations about Eve being tempted by the devil and therefore women are more susceptible to the devil and essentially in his mind weaker and... <sighs> do we know anything about his personal life? Did oh yeah, we him? do. <laughs> Tell me something about the man that produced well, it. Well, we know that before he published this book, he was involved in trials of several women accused of witchcraft that he'd accused of witchcraft in Austria. And his methods and his questioning, particularly about their sexual behavior, his advocacy of the use of torture, was so bizarre and abhorrent to the local judiciary that they kicked him out and they acquitted all the women. And one of the women actually turned the tables and accused him of heresy because of his obsession with witches and women's sex oh lives. And it was a bit of a shambles and he had to leave in disgrace. And so it seems to be that that event might have spurred him to actually write his theories down in a book, get oh um, papal you know, sanction for like that. Piers Morgan and the whole Meghan Markle debate. We still see it. We still see like a man spurned yeah. and a man yeah. who couldn't get what he wanted. And that's and always interesting about, yeah, about the witch trials is, especially the ones in this country, they seem to be inherently sexual in nature, like making women confess to having sex with the devil and kissing There are a lot of that and a lot of the things that Kramer points out. Because he does say, you know, in theory, men could be witches, but yeah. he sort of makes it clear that yeah, it's not, not really he doesn't yeah. think that that's likely. So a lot of the things that he accuses witches of doing are very specifically female things like nursing from extra nipples and yeah, secret women only meetings and having sex with demons and stuff like that. It's just the ravings of a pervert, isn't it, really? It is a little bit, yeah. Right. So we are just walking around at the moment and now people are starting to come into the exhibition, of course they are, because it's incredible, but there might be some background noise. But we are going to finish off by talking about another one of your favourites who is... This is Tara. Tara. So Tara is perhaps the most important female spiritual being in Tibetan Buddhism. And she is seen as a Buddha or a Bodhisattva or a goddess, variously described in these terms. So a very mm. important spiritual being. And she is the embodiment of compassion and wisdom. Oh, Tara. So here we've got a small gilt bronze figurine of Tara. This is white Tara. And behind you, you can see a textile which is painted with the 21 different forms of Tara that she can take. These are all her different manifestations that she sends out in the world. 
And each of these is labeled with a vice like envy or greed, which that form of Tara, meditating on that form of Tara helps you to overcome. Which Tara are you today? Yeah, well, oh. that's it. And you've got at the top, you'll see her manifestations are quite serene oh. and calm. And then as we move down the image, we get to her more wrathful emanations. Yeah, she her looks, more aggressive she looks, yeah. power, but always in the service of compassion and salvation. Oh, wow. Oh, Tara is very beautiful. I like, so she's can be associated with sort of like rage, but also with compassion. Yeah, and this is something that we see in other traditions as well. Compassion is not always framed as something gentle or you know, patient yeah, that's, that's or passive. True. Sometimes it's very active. And, and around the corner, we look at the goddess Kali, Hindu goddess Kali, who is ferocious, almost uncontrollable, aggressive warrior goddess. But she is an instrument of compassion in that she uses her sort of bloodthirstiness to sever all of your limiting qualities, like your ego and your attachment to worldly concerns. Oh. So her aggression is her compassion. And you see that in some of the manifestations of Tara as well. But the other thing about Tara is she's also incredibly attractive. She's beautiful, she's alluring. You can see it in the statue. She's draped in silks and jewels. She's got, just sort of radiates beauty mm. and this is intrinsically part of how she's seen it's this attractiveness and this sort of sexiness in a way that makes you want to be near her and the more you're near her the more you want to be like her mm. and the more compassionate and wise you become and that's the path to salvation it's really nice to see a sort of example of a deity or a powerful goddess figure who is beautiful but not condemned for it that you see so exactly. much in western tradition i think what's interesting about this concept is that it's framing female seductive influence as something positive really as a good. positive force in the world that can make humanity better it says here i'm glad that i just saw this because tara is translated to she who saves That's yeah she's the savior because tara doesn't sound like a goddess's name and occasionally you find that like i learned recently that king herod's wife was called doris really yes. <laughs> which has always stuck with me <laughs> so this is tara and doris and but tara does not mean tara as we know tara it means she who saves she who saves or she who carries a cross because she carries you across from the world of suffering and rebirth to nirvana she's absolutely beautiful oh Thank you so much for taking us around. I feel so unbelievably You're welcome. Privileged. Thank you I'm for coming. So rotten. This is just incredible. Please come and see this exhibition at the British Museum. It will blow your tiny mind. So what we want people to be doing as they walk around the space is having conversations about all of these different ideas and how they relate to each other and how they relate to people's own lives and own experience. And so what we've done is we've invited five guest commentators to do just that for us. So they've come to the museum, we've talked to them through the objects and the ideas for each of the section, and they've allowed us to record their personal responses. This is what they think. You may not think the same thing, but this is what they think, and it's just a way to start a conversation. So as you move through, you'll hear from Bonnie Greer, Mary Beard, Elizabeth Day, Rabia Sadiq, and Deborah Francis-White. And squad. you can hear them talking about what they think, you can reflect on that. We've got some quotes that they provided next to the figures, which are just, it's just there to sort of prompt conversation, really. And then when you get to the end of the exhibition, we've created this interactive space where we're hoping that people will leave their thoughts 
tell us what they think, what they tell think. other people in the gallery mm. what they think, to make it that conversation. Mm. And how long is the exhibition running for? It's on until the 25th of September. It's, honestly, it's so good. And then it's going on an international tour. Oh, so wow, okay. It'll be opening in the National Museum of Australia in December, and then after that it's going on a five-venue tour of Spain. See, that's a perfect world tour. Thank you so much for talking to You're me. You're welcome. This has just been incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much to Belinda and to the British Museum. In fact, thank you to all the Divine Feminines for having us and listening to us. We hope that you've enjoyed our quick tour. And if you want to know more, this amazing exhibition is on until September and then it goes on an international tour. If you like what you've heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In the next few weeks, we've got episodes on BDSM and the 19th century scandal that shook Paris and more. So join me again betwixt the sheets, The History of Sex, Scandal in Society, a podcast by History Hit. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.